It's a joy to be here with you, and I am also glad, Neil, I, I agree, the 12 Days of Christmas. I love that song, but it is a little long. Uh, there's actually a shorter version that I really like. Uh, I put a link to uh, this, a performance of this group on the uh, notes, uh, the version notes, if you want to go check it out. Uh, that is a really fun rendition, but it really, really squeezes it down to a smaller, uh, they sing it pretty fast, and it's really enjoyable if you wanted to hear that. And there's a couple other versions that I absolutely love. Um, there was one that uh, we were challenged, Rusty and I were challenged to reenact. I said, nope, I was challenged, and I refused the challenge. Yeah, I did. I simply refused it, and so did Rusty. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but anyway, 12 Days of Christmas is, is, is one of those fascinating songs, because to me, it reminds me of what, in some ways, this season has become about. Uh, yesterday, my wife and I and the, and, the, and the girls went shopping for Christmas. Has, has anyone done that yet? Uh, how many of you still have plenty that you still need to do? Yeah, it's coming. You got a little over a week. Guys, that's probably for you. You got a little over a week. Hurry it up. We went shopping, and what I realized is Christmas can be a pretty expensive time of year. Have you noticed that? Uh, because when you start buying gifts for others, you realize there's so many others to buy gifts for. You can buy gifts for family, for friends, for your preacher. Um, just name a few. <laughs> just saying that. But uh, it can be pretty expensive. And, and sometimes you may not know exactly what to do, but I wanted to give you a clue. Uh, don't follow the advice of the 12 days of Christmas. Because according to PNC Bank, this is going to cost you some pretty, uh, a pretty fair amount of coin. Here's some of the things that it says uh, these would cost in 2018. So the first is a partridge in a pear tree would cost you $220.13. Two turtle doves, $375. Three French hens, uh, $181. They're not quite as expensive as the turtle doves. But the four calling birds, it's not $600. No, no. It's $599.96. You save four cents per uh, cent per bird, apparently. Five golden rings is only $750. Six geese a laying, $390. Those are the cheap ones. Let's head toward the more expensive. Seven swans a swimming, $13,125. Swans are expensive compared to eight maids milking, <laughs> 58 bucks. Wow. At least the nine ladies dancing are a little bit more, $7,552.84. Uh, ten lords are pretty proud of themselves. It's going to cost you $10,000. To rent 11 pipers piping, $2,808.40. has no merit as whether they'll be good or not. But to get 10 drummers is $3,038.10. That's according to 2018 PNC Bank. Total, grand total, is $39,093.94. So if you're wanting... A, a Christmas present for your preacher, this would not be it. I would just take the cash, that would be fine. <laughs> Christmas is usually not that expensive for most of us though, right? Because we're not going all out like that is. But just think of the point of the song. Point of the song is my true love gave to me. And so it's this idea that my true love is striving to, to show, or whoever's true love, is striving to show their true love by giving these extravagant and strange gifts. And there's a great understanding with that because we get that, don't we? We get that gifts that are well thought out, sometimes that are expensive, maybe not always, but they mean something. 
They show something about the giver. I want to contrast this idea of the 12 days of Christmas to the birth of Jesus. It's one of those Jesus jukes for you. But God, God gave us his son, and whenever he did, he did not send eight maids of milking, nine ladies dancing, ten lords of leaping, or any of that kind of idea. In fact, when you read the story, you kind of get the impression that God really didn't invest much into this gift. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek because we know what he invested, but we'll get to that in a second. If you would just notice a few things of the story when Jesus came. So when Jesus came, he was sent to a struggling couple. They were pretty common people, but that now they were outcasts because Mary was pregnant and it wasn't from Joseph. And so there's a lot of question just around whether this couple was a good couple to be around. This might be the couple in church that you'd kind of look saying, man, I'm glad they're here because they really need Jesus. They really need someone to save them. And that's who God decided to send Jesus to. He was born in a pretty insignificant city. Yeah, prophecies were made that he would be born there, but Bethlehem wasn't a, it wasn't a, a really awesome place. It wasn't a place of prestige. It wasn't a place where people were really looking for a king. And add to that, he was born around the animals. Now, there's some question about what exactly that meant. Was it in a stable or like a cave where uh, they would come and, and, and they would put all their sheep and their, uh, all their animals? Or was it the lower part of a house uh, where they would bring their animals in at night because they were, again, more towards pets? That kind of idea. Really, uh, depending on if you read Matthew or Luke, you get different ideas with that. Really, it doesn't matter. He was born among animals. He was born not where people typically are born. And he was laid in a feeding trough. Just think of all these things. And then, and then whenever God chose to send the heavenly host to go and announce his birth, he didn't send them to Rome. He didn't send them to Greece. He didn't even send them to Jerusalem to go and proclaim that the king has been born. You know who he sent the heavenly host to? Shepherds. Out in the field. Just imagine. This angel announces, and then he's joined by all these other angels, a host of angels, and they sing. I just want to hear one angel sing one of, the, one of these days. I've heard some pretty angelic voices from humans in my life, but we say that for, for a reason. It ain't nothing like an angel. And to hear a host, and you know who got to hear that? Very few people. And a bunch of sheep. Seems like God didn't invest much into the coming of his son. But maybe that's the point. Because maybe there's something else that the 12 days of Christmas doesn't communicate to us. Because we are, I mean, it does communicate, but this story doesn't because we're so akin to the idea of these gifts being wrapped pretty and being extravagant. Consider this prophecy from Ezekiel 17. It says this, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar, plant it. I will break off a tender sprig from its topmost shoots and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. Now, we're kind of entering the story like, you know, mid-jump uh, with this. And so, really, what he's talking about is the coming of the Messiah. Who's, what he's going to be like, what he's going to come. And what he says is that he's going to come forth as a shoot, as a tender sprig. 
I want to let you know that that is not necessarily the language that most people will be looking for whenever we talk about a king. You're going to want a tree. You're going to want a tree with roots. You're going to want this impressive figure. But whenever Ezekiel talks about the coming of the Messiah, he says, hey, he's going to be a little sprig. In fact, add to that how Isaiah 53 talks about the coming of the Messiah. It says, my servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot. There it is again. Like a root in dry ground, there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him, looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. You know what Isaiah is saying here? Of course, we know the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. But what he's saying is when Jesus comes, when the Messiah comes, very few people are going to notice. Because there's not going to be anything that impressive. There's not going to be anything about him that is going to say, ooh, he's beautiful. Everyone needs to go check this out. He's going to be born on the outskirts of a town that most people don't even know where it's at. He's going to be born in a manger because there's no room in the inn. He's going to have shepherds come visiting because the kings don't even know that he's around. This is the humble approach that God has, and it seems kind of strange. I mean, why on earth would God do it that way? Well, it was probably because he had a plan. If you've been with us in this, uh, for the past several weeks, we've been looking at the different prophecies about Jesus coming. And there's over 300 different prophecies, so this is a really long sermon series. But we're looking at all the, uh, several of the different prophecies about what it would be like whenever he comes, what he would do, what he would teach, how he would live, and especially how he would die. And all of these things are leading up to this moment. And this moment, in all reality, is not as grand as you might think. But it's for a purpose. See, every bit of this is planned out. Every bit of this is for a reason. There is something about how the Messiah is coming, how he is wrapped up that is actually part of the gift. A lot of times wrapping paper or the conduit to receive the gift is pretty insignificant. But in this moment, it's not. How Jesus comes is hugely significant. Ezekiel will go on to say this, all the trees of the forest will know that the Lord, I the Lord, bring down the tall tree and make the low tree grow tall. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I the Lord have spoken and I will do it. What he's saying here is that God is going to level the playing field. He's not just going to come to the tall trees of this world. He's not just going to come to the rich and the affluence and those of high society and high knowledge and the super uber religious. He's not going to come just to them. He's going to come for the rest of us. In fact, what it says is he's going to bring down those who might be a little too proud and he's going to bring up those who might be a little too down. That's why he came. That's what it's looking like. Everything about the birth of Christ is meticulously designed to declare that Jesus did not come simply for the rich, simply for the religious, and simply for the kings. Jesus came for everyone. 
That's what this story is trying to tell us, is that Jesus has come to lift up the fallen, to heal the sick, to save the lost. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus himself would say, is that he has come to seek and save that which is lost. See, everyone should have access to the Messiah. That's how God understood it. That's how God ordained it. That's how God planned it, is that everyone could have access to the Messiah. Have you ever been to a, a house or, you know, some place where you feel completely uncomfortable? You know, my, my wife uh, grew up in Nashville, and there's some really beautiful old homes, you know, of some relatively famous people uh, back in the day. And we've gone to some of those, and they're beautiful. They're ornate. You have, you know, their, their chairs that are there. They're impressive, and you, you have their beds, and you have all these things. You walk through, and it's amazing. And you know what you don't want to do? touch anything. It's not a place where you come and, and just prop your feet up on the, you know, there on the, on the coffee table. You may not do that in your own home. But it's not a place where you feel comfortable to kick off your shoes and just relax. It's a place you come and go, ooh, ah. But you don't feel comfortable. Now, on the converse, have you ever been to one of those places where you feel completely comfortable? I, I don't know what it is for you, but you walk in, and, and the couch there just says, you know what, you should sit on me. And you're like, okay. And so you go, and you relax, and before, before long, it's not even your house, but you're kicking off your shoes because it's just a comfortable place. You realize that you're, you're comfortable there. You get, you get up out of your chair and go get your own drink. You find you rummage through the cupboard, uh, cupboards because you're like, hmm, where's the glasses? You have completely been comfortable there. I don't know what it is that does it in your life, but I wanted to let you know that Jesus is trying to present that kind of atmosphere. See, not everyone feels comfortable in a palace, but everyone has access to the animals. Kings may not feel comfortable around animals, but that's to their shame. Animals are completely comfortable around you, and they create a literal, literal warm place to be. And that's where Jesus entered the scene. And I think that's less, I mean, it's partly for uh, fulfilling prophecy and understanding this, but it's also saying even shepherds and wise men can visit. Even stepdads can visit. And it's just not on weekends. It's any time. That's the message that's being conveyed is that everyone should have access to this Messiah. But there's more. Ezekiel's saying that the Messiah has come to do something. In Ezekiel, and now starting in verse 23, it says this. It says, on the, mountain, on the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. I will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid, it will become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. All the trees of the forest will know that I, the Lord, bring down the tall tree and make the low tree grow, grow tall. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. He's saying all these things about what is going to happen whenever he takes this little sprig and plants it on the high mountain. But I want to draw your attention to three things that he says. Jesus came... To give us shelter. 
All kinds of birds will find shelter in this tree. This isn't just a, a, a picture of some pretty tree with lots of birds in it. This is an idea of a description of what Jesus will do whenever he comes. You can find shelter in his home. You can find rest in his place. He came to lift us up. Did you notice how it says that the green tree might dry up, but the dry tree will flourish? And I will bring down all those high and lofty trees and bring up those little little ones. Jesus is going to lift us up. He's going to nourish us. He's going to refresh us so that we can flourish in his presence. That's the beauty of what Ezekiel is saying is that at the heart of this gift that God is giving is this beautiful promise. It's not just that the gift is a baby. The gift is what this baby's going to do. The gift is that who this baby is. You see, Jesus didn't come so that we could fill our homes with lights and ornaments and you know decorated trees. Jesus didn't come so that a guy named Santa could come down our chimneys and have some milk and cookies. Jesus didn't come so that we could have Black Friday sales and internet sales and all those nice things to get cheaper presents. Jesus didn't even come so that we could have Hallmark movies and Christmas parades. Those things might be good. I just about got stoned on that Hallmark movie comment. Easy. But the thing is, Jesus didn't come for those. They may be good. Jesus came to change this world, to change your life, to change mine. See, that's the promise that Ezekiel is conveying from God, is that this tender little sprig that you may look at and you may think is insignificant, it's just a baby. It's going to grow up. It's going to level the playing field. Everyone will have access. He's going to give shelter to anyone who comes under his wings. He's going to nourish you to where you can truly live. See, this is a beautiful promise of the Messiah, of what he would be, of what he would come, of what he would do to lift us up from our guilt and shame, to refresh us by forgiving us, making us right with God, and to shelter us. What Ezekiel is saying is that Jesus is is the best gift that we could ever hope for. Forget the 12 days of Christmas and your 10 leaping lords. Jesus is the best gift. Now, that sounds cliche. Don't get me wrong. You've heard plenty of sermons about that, right? Oh, Jesus is the best gift. But have you truly understood it? Why? Why he's the best gift for you? Or is it just something that you've gotten used to? Is it something that, well, you know what? I come to church every Sunday, and I'm supposed to hear these words, but honestly, I would much rather like an Apple Watch than Jesus. Or I would rather have this or that or whatever. We've missed the point. We've missed why Jesus came. I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon that that God didn't seem to spend much on this gift of Jesus. I said that's tongue-in-cheek because we all know what's true. One of the most famous passages of the Bible is John 3.16. You know it. For God so loved the world that he did what? Gave his who? Only begotten son. Think about that. Let that soak in. He offered us his only child. Us. Knowing full well what we would do with him. 
knowing full well that he would be despised, rejected, we would nail him to a cross, he gave him anyway. Talk about a sacrifice. Philippians goes a little bit further about even what, was, what he went through, what Jesus went through. It says this, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God something to cling to. Instead, he gave up the divine privileges. He took up the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. You get what's being said here? This gift costs virtually everything. This is a huge, amazing gift that we sometimes just overlook and say, oh, isn't it nice? You know, Jesus came, and he was a beautiful, nice, pretty little baby in wonderful little manger scene and nativity, and it's always just peaceful and, and tranquil. Wonderful little picture there. But this baby grew up, and the people that he came to save hated him because he was claiming to be God. And he proved he was with his life. Jesus made himself nothing whenever he came down from heaven to enter this manger in Bethlehem. The king of heaven became a servant. He who was robed in majesty stripped himself of his divine privileges to become a man. Ultimately, he humbled himself to die for us. You can't put a price on that gift. There's no way to quantify that. PNC Bank does it for the 12 days of Christmas every year. And it's gone up every year, the cost of, of buying all these gifts, and now it's just under 40000 You can't put, a, can't put a price on the gift of Jesus. And that's the beauty of this season. That's the beauty of what we get to proclaim. That's the beauty of what the story is about. You see, when Jesus came, it may not have been that impressive our nativity scenes may look beautiful and nice now, but the thing is, it may not, it was designed on purpose to not be something so impressive. It was designed to be something so welcoming that shepherds and wise men will seek him. Something that every one of us should feel comfortable but convicted in his presence. That is the beauty of why Jesus came. And that's a story that we get to share. A guy by the name of uh, Gene Doolin, he was a uh, missionary to Europe for, for some time. And he told a story that he was in Austria around Christmas time. And if you've ever been to Germany and Austria around Christmas time, they love Christmas, okay? It's awesome. Um, but he was at a storefront, and there in, in, behind the windows was a beautifully carved nativity scene. I mean, it was hand-carved, and it was slightly larger than life, and he goes, it was just amazing. And so he was just staring at it, enjoying it. And as he was there, he noticed an older woman with her grandchild. They stopped and were looking at it as well, and he realized he couldn't understand the language she was speaking. But as she, he watched, she pointed to Joseph and, and was telling stuff to the grandchild and pointed to Mary and then, and then to the baby. 
And he said even though he couldn't understand the language, he knew without a doubt that this woman was sharing the greatest gift to her grand- grandchild. Doolin would go on to say this. He'd said, for 2,000 years, parents and grandparents have passed on the story of Jesus. This story and this life has changed millions of lives around the whole world. That's the gift of that baby. See, that's the message that we get to bring to this world. A message of a child who is given to us so that he could lift us up when the world is going to tear us down. It's a story of a child who is sent to restore us back to a right relationship with God. It's a story of a Messiah who would give us shelter in a harsh and cruel world. That's why this is the greatest gift. That's why this story needs proclaimed from not just the church buildings, but every place that you go. Anytime you see something referencing the beauty of this story, it ought to compel you to at least smile and maybe share it. Maybe share the beauty of the story. Because this is a gift that changes your life. So this morning I want to offer the invitation. The invitation is this. It's not mine, it's actually Christ's. So it's not going to be your typical come forward and, you know, and do this. It's the, it's the invitation of Christ to come and see. Come and see what God did when Jesus was born. Come and see the child who would grow up to save your soul. Come and walk with him as we see through the stories of Scripture. Come and walk with him on the roads of Jerusalem. Come and walk with him in the passion in the last week, come and follow him to the cross. Watch him die, knowing you should be there instead. And three days later, whenever he resurrects, be with him again. Walk with him in the newness of this life. Because I want to let you know, everyone is invited to God's table. Everything about the story of Scripture is telling us everyone's invited. No one should be excluded, and so that means you. You're invited. So it's Jesus' invitation. It's not mine. I just am a herald to proclaim the good news. So this morning, if you want to respond to that invitation, we would love to rejoice with you as you let Jesus change your life. Would you let us know as you come, as you stand and sing? Never.